Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and glad hearts, Lord, with contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, Lord, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my sisters, that we have yet another day, that we may crack open the Bible, Lord, and learn of your word, that we may be taught by your spirit, Lord, unto edification and sanctification. And Lord, I pray as we go through the process of pursuing you and doing what you say, Lord, let our hearts not faint. Let us continue in the process, Lord, of every day dying out to self and allowing you, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords to reign in our lives, Lord. And I, Lord, I just pray that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no man's flesh be glorified. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who couldn't be here today. And for those who are going through difficult times and those who have their own battles and all that they're going through. I just want to thank you, Lord, for the trials. I want to thank you for the tribulation. For you said that all that will live godly will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I just thank you, Lord, for all the things, all the blocks, all the things that we need to overcome. For you have called your people to be overcomers, Lord. And I just pray that you instill in them the faith to know that with God we are able. Yes, and Lord, we just pray that you bring in fresh fish. We pray that you bring in, Lord, fresh meat. We pray, Lord, that you allow us to go down to the market and get the choicest of meat, even those morsels, Lord, that that people want to throw away. I pray that you bring them in, Lord. I pray that they be in that place with you ready to learn, dedicated, Lord, not to me, but a life unto you, Lord, that they may win souls. So I just pray, Lord, that you fill this ministry, whatever it may be. I just pray, Lord, that you lead us in the place that we will run into people, Lord, of like precious faith. I pray, Lord, that you give us a stage, a platform that we may represent you, that we may take that megaphone, Lord, and with the loudest of voices, praise the name of Jesus and introduce those lost souls unto you, Lord. For aside from you, we can do nothing. So I pray, Lord that we stay connected to the vine. I pray that you show us when we are straying away. I pray, Lord, that every day, no matter what you must do with us, that you have us vessels fit for the master to use. And I pray at this moment, Lord, that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray, Lord, that you bind them, that you cast them down, that you kick them out, that you claim victory over them, Lord, for those spirits are nothing compared to the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Lord, that we give this ministry back unto you, that you may do what your good pleasure is in it, that you will be glorified, Lord, for you are the whole story. 
For you are King of kings, there is no doubt, and Lord of lords, and you are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things that we have prayed for and those that you know that our heart desires be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's why when we pray, we've got to believe and receive in Christ. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is breaking up fallow ground. Breaking up fallow ground. Now, it's important that we understand what the meaning of breaking up fallow ground is because the Bible refers to it twice. But there are many um, areas in the Bible where God commands us to do this same thing. So this is the word fallow ground. And it says, here's the uh, biblical uh, definition. It says the expression, break up your fallow ground, means, means uh, do not sow your seed among thorns. Break off all your evil habits, clear your hearts of weeds in order that they may be um, prepared for the seed of righteousness. Land was allowed to, to lie hallowed that it might become more fruitful, but when in this condition, it soon became overgrown with thorns and weeds. The cultivator of the soil was careful to break up his fallow ground to clear the field of weeds before sowing seed in it. So says the prophet, break off um, your evil ways, repent of your sins, cease to do evil, and then the good seed of the word will have room to grow and bear fruit. So you see, this is one of the things that a lot of Christians need to have as far as spiritual maturity goes, because many of us are born again, but how many of us are breaking up that fallow ground? How many of us are allowing the Lord to work in our lives to take things from us that we might actually mature? And see, that's one of the unfortunate things in routine. God does want congregations to come together, to be together, to be of him. But what God wants more than anything are a bunch of mature trees that bear fruit that will drop seeds to bear more fruit. And it's important that we have to go through this process of sanctification. In this particular case today, it's called fallow ground. God needs to pull out everything that is not of him, that a complete work in God may be done. And, you know, there are a lot of things that try and stop us in this process from going forward. But we've got to trust God. We've got to believe him. And that's what it truly means to have a single eye before Lord, when, when the Lord. When he says... If thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And he said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, it's unfortunate that you have things like religion and all these other things that keep people from truly pursuing God. What their light is, is mostly an ignorance, and it's a barrier. It's an obstacle that keeps people from coming to Christ. So, you know, I, I like this particular study. The Lord gave it to me months ago, and he wanted me to present it tonight. But what's funny is I also recognize that I'm going through this very process right now. He's even taking me into a deeper place with him that these things can be done. So this is so fitting for tonight. And I'm excited to bring this forward because these are the things that are necessary for growth. Now I understand why when David 
was going up the rough side of the mountain and he was suffering persecution, remember, and even one of Saul's relatives. Okay, David's son is after him. There are people that chose Absalom over David. And then you had um, one of Saul's family members throwing rocks at David and saying, good for you. The revenge of Saul has come. You deserve this and all that. And one of David's men, one of his mighty men, looks over and sees this guy and says, King, how, how can you, you know, or allow me to go over and take this man's head off? And David told that man that was loyal to him, what have I to do with you? In other words, what my burden is, if God allows this man to do it, then so be it. Because this is all a part of the process of growing in Christ. And when we get to that place with the Lord, that no matter what, when God can take this body and he can feed it or he can deny it and starve it out. When he can put you in places that are peaceful and places that are that are dangerous. When God can allow you to serve in prison just to begin a ministry that you might do God's will. Okay, regardless of what you have going on on the outside, then you truly know that you are dead to self and given over to Christ. And it's unfortunate that a lot of Christians don't think this way, but I can tell this is the road that I'm heading. And I'm looking forward to the journey because whenever I look back, I realize there is nothing to look back on. There is nothing that happened so great in my life that I can't afford to continue to walk with Jesus. So when I'm recognizing this, Keep your eyes focused on the goal. Stay on the path where God wants you to stay. Because whenever you look back, all you see is reasons that you should have come to the Lord earlier. Okay, so with that being said, I want to get started in Galatians 1. This wasn't even a part of the study. But for whatever purpose, the Lord is leading me there because I feel like it's going to be relevant to tonight's study. And let the Lord lead where he wants to lead. All I need to do is follow. And that's what I'm beginning to learn. You don't have enough knowledge to walk with God and to be like a little partner with him. God's in charge and you are the vessel. And what God tends to do with that vessel is up to God. Praise his name. Yes, sir. Interesting point on that. The song that most Christians know from a child, I have decided to follow Jesus, was actually written by a Hebrew man who, I think it was back in the 1800s, mm -hmm. the Whoever, the dictator, whoever was in charge, told this guy, you have to renounce your faith or die. Mm -hmm. And he said he wouldn't do it. And he said, so hours before they beheaded him in prison, he wrote the song, I have decided uh, to follow Jesus. Right. And uh, then it was popularized. They made an American version. But it just it goes to show you, it's like, we can't afford to turn back like you're saying and that song just rings volumes of that it's like when we follow Jesus it's like though no one may, though no one join me so I will follow and see it's one thing to turn back and to or, or to think of turning back you know because of things that you feel like that you need to do and but you know that you can't because God tells you what happens to those people and it's crucial to look back you know it prolongs your walk it's another thing to know that wherever you see when you look back, that there is nothing to look forward to. I think that's the only time that a real Christian can move forward in God is when you recognize, man, I'm not missing out on nothing. You know, it's when the world disappoints you and you realize that God is God. I think that's the only time you can walk with God. As long as you've got trust in your friends, your ministry, your family, 
and all this other stuff, your wife, your husband, whatever, as long as you have 100% trust in them, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I'm saying that as long as you give your heart to those things, you can never really fully understand God because God is your everything even before those things. Because don't think in the future the devil's not going to pull some tricks and just start to separate marriages. I know that's going to happen. I know God is going to be leading a, a couple down the road. And, you know, times are going to get rough. Things are going to happen. And if you're not strong enough to recognize that you are one in Christ, that you both need to be focused that way, then what's going to happen is it's going to be too much for someone. Someone's going to say, you know what, this is just way too serious. I didn't sign up for this. I'm leaving. But to be honest with you, they were never weak. They were a tear. You see what I'm saying? Because Paul says, for those who continue with us, you know, um, they were of us. But for those who turn back, they were not of us. They were just made at this point manifest that they were not all of us. So it's important to understand that some people can be tears. And, and sometimes you may just have a wife or a husband or children or family that has a moment of doubt. But you've got to be strong enough to go forward in Jesus and say, you know what? Even if this means divorce, so be it. But one thing I know is I've got to stay with Christ. And half the time when that happens, what you'll see is a spell come off of the husband or off of the wife. And they kind of come to themselves because the devil can't use them to stop you. Right. Okay. Or, you know, but then there are times when it actually happens. When a person can't take no more, they're gone. But you've got to keep going. I mean, because... Of course it's going to hurt. Of course things are going to happen. But you mean to say you're just going to fall out? Lord, I give up. I just can't take another beating. Then that means you weren't in it anyway. Yeah. You were only with God because of people that you loved were with God. But we've got to have that single heart towards the Lord. We've got to love God the same no matter what comes in our lives, no matter what goes away, no matter who becomes a part of it and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. We've got to trust God. And that's what this is about. So this is Galatians 1. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I can't think of a better heading tonight than to say Paul was an apostle, not of men. He was not an apostle of men, neither by man. Man didn't appoint Paul, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So when God gives you something, it is something that no one can take from you, no matter how hard they try. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So what we understand here about this world is it's present, like it's the world we still live in, and it's evil, okay? And, and it makes clear right after that, it says, according to the will of God and our Father. You know, a lot of people don't like certain ministers because they preach about things that talk about forsaking the world and coming after Christ. That's not a popular doctrine today, but you know what? If you be of Christ, who cares? You know, this is of the will of God and whomsoever will believe it will receive it. If they don't, that's not your problem. 
But one thing we understand is it says here in verse three that God or verse um, verse verse four that God's will is that we be delivered from this present evil world. That's clear. Verse five, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So what we want to look at right here and, and really talk about this today, I, I listened to an awesome message by um, Pastor Price because they're doing, um, I think the second day of the conference that they had came out. But I was listening to the first one and he had a guy on there that um, like a video played of a guy named Jacob Prash that knows a lot, you know, in terms of the Bible and everything. And what he wanted to talk about is why people are deceived. And you realize it's got nothing to do with God. It's got nothing to do in many cases with sound doctrine, because when a lot of people are presented with the truth, they still don't want it. But one thing he made clear is that the Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. And we've preached about that before. We've, we've done the, the radio show about what the spirit of error is. But what causes a lot of people to stray away from the truth of God is because they don't have the Holy Ghost. They won't yield to the voice of the Holy Ghost. I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you've been baptized in the spirit. I don't care if you've seen signs and visions. When you find yourself deceived, okay, and, and, and you won't, God doesn't leave his people deceived for long. So when you find yourself deceived, there's an issue between you and the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost will always make it known. He's the spirit of truth. So when you find Christians that can just be deceived, just fall in line with other doctrine and people who got to tell them things to get them out of it. You know, I'm not saying when you're early in your walk, you don't start out with that and you always learn. But when are you going to get to the point in your life where you're mature enough to hear the voice of God? Because, excuse me, most people can't hear the voice of God because they, they hearken unto the voice of men and things that people want. But when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, I don't know how many videos that we've sat in front of with teachers that sound like they had some really good doctrine, only to find the Spirit of God tell you, that's not of me. And it's almost like something clicks in your spirit right away that you're not in any spell. You're not cheering on some false prophet. You're in that place of, the Spirit just told me this ain't right. And for whatever reason, it's not right. I'm going to move on or go past that. But I don't know how Thousands upon thousands of people can be deceived with false doctrine and they have a Bible themselves. If you are really a born again believer, the Holy Ghost is your guide and the Bible calls it a parakletos, which is like, you know, your partner, your best friend, your comforter. So if you can't hearken unto him, how can you just be removed to another gospel? Not even check it out. Just believe it. Or even when you know it's false, like a lot of Jehovah Witnesses do, a lot of Catholics, a lot of Mormons, a lot of, you know, all these other groups, they know their doctrine's false when you tell them, but they still, for some reason, want to make the excuse that they're going to fall in line with what they were raised in. And you know what? That's sad, okay? Because that's when the spirit of error comes in and blocks people from receiving the truth. But if you're really a born-again believer, if you love the word of God, you love Christ. 
I'm not saying you won't have your woes, you won't slip and fall, you won't make mistakes as you're growing in Christ, but you always hear the voice of God. You never walk into something in deception. You believe God in everything that he says. But whenever I'm even here teaching, whenever I'm listening to other people teach, the Holy Spirit is always in my ear saying that's right or wrong. So how can so many people claim to be born again and be believers and be misled by the world? That's impossible, man. You get what I'm saying? So I think that when you truly are given over to the Lord, God keeps you in the fine gospel. He even gives you teachers according to his heart, as he promised in Jeremiah. But you see, Paul is wondering here, how are you people so soon removed from the truth? Man, I just preached here, you know, and the word got out, and you guys are off into something else. And it's only because their hearts are not after Christ. Their hearts are after religion, after friends. They're being led by their senses more than they're being led of Christ. And that's why, as we're going to talk about tonight with this study, fallow ground needs to be broken up. Mm -hmm. It needs to be broken up because what we are truly are earthen vessels that God put a treasure in. And the only way to get the goodness of God is for you to die out to self that Jesus Christ can live in you. He's got to break off all this armor. He's got to take off all this earthly mindset, all this earthly feeling. Remove it from you so that he can dictate what you do. So this is verse 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have preached or which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach another gospel or any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So what we've got to understand here is that Jesus is first and foremost. Whenever we call ourselves or even in our heartstrings tugging on Christ or the world, Christ or this, Christ or that, you choose Christ. Okay, because he is your only way back to the Father. That's important that we understand this. So you cannot be a servant of Christ if you are set to please men. Saul ended up losing his anointing because he feared the people and what they wanted other than to do what God says. Now, if I wanted to be somebody that was beloved by the world, I could preach a false gospel, but then I've got God to answer to for this. But I could just, or I can even be crafty and let's say, well, let's just leave holidays and things out of it. You know, let's just leave all that idolatry out. All I can do is talk about the love of Jesus and I can bring up scripture upon scripture that just talks about the love of Jesus. Now, what I'd be preaching would be biblical, but see, God knows the heart. And a lot of pastors like this are deceptive because they think if I just preach out of the Bible... Technically, I'm not saying anything wrong, but see, God knows what he calls every minister to do. And that is for one, he always, Jesus never preached the gospel without talking about sin. Paul never preached the gospel without talking about sin. It's important that we cover those things. So let's go to um, Philippians 1. Let's look at Philippians 1.
And now praise the Lord. Mm. You know, it's really interesting what you're saying tonight about how is it that we have the discernment and a lot of other thousands upon thousands of people are just sitting there blindly listening to a false gospel. And it's just, I think, what it says in Timothy, they will raise up preachers that will, you know, tickle their ears basically or give them itching ears yeah and what's really sad and what's happening to people too is this thing is that like i said this love gospel it's gotten way out of control uh -huh. and i think that christians are trying to feel it more so than understanding god which yeah. is why we're going here real quick so he says look at verse four this is philippians one in verse four he says and always in prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he, he, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> man, like something's trying to choke me out. Devil must not like this, but it says, um, in verse six, being confident of this very thing that he, which be, which have began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if God began a good work in you, he will finish it. Look at verse seven. Even as it is me for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So he's clearly talking to the Philippians. Hey guys, I love you. This is why I'm here and this is what I'm doing. But look at the warning in verse nine. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. So he wants your love to abound more and more, but not in ignorance, in knowledge and in all judgment. So when you look at the word judgment there, that word for judgment means discernment. Okay, to be able to see where you are, to perceive what is of God and what is not. But he says, let your love abound in knowledge, in understanding what's going on and what's happening, and with discernment, so that we end up not deceived. But the only way we can have this is to know God. It's to know his word. It's to be, you know, in fellowship with his spirit that we won't be deceived. But you see, a lot of people will fall into love. They'll just say, let your love abound more and more and close the book. But what he's saying here is, let it, let it show love in knowledge and discernment. Meaning what? That you just don't love things outright. You love according to what you know, according to the knowledge of Christ, according to the discernment of the situation. I'm not saying we don't love people, but some people are so bent on, you know, well, we can't offend. We can't say this. We just need to show love so that people can be accepted. That's not what the Bible says. Discernment of God is a requirement for us that we will not fall away, that we will obey what God says. So let's get started. Let's go to um, let's go to Hosea chapter uh, 10, and let's get into this fallow ground.
was talking to someone at work today about this, about how, you know, people today are just going off and doing a lot of stuff, and they, you know, you talk to them, and they, 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 they don't want to go to church, because, and we've obviously talked about this before here, but they have just that wall of, you say that you're a Christian, they want to run from you as far as they can. And because of like all the hypocrites and whatnot in church. And I was actually talking to, to Daryl, we were in the break room, and he was like, and he, we both, both made good points, but he's like, yeah, but that's the pastor's fault because he's the shepherd. And I, it's the pastor's, it's like, but the people in the church, it's also their fault as well. Because mm-hmm. you gotta, you got your own, you gotta brain yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, if if we are just blindfully going after and, and listening, listening after somebody, then it's like, where did your brain go? What happened to it? Exactly. You know? And that's the thing. People begin to feel, and they just stop thinking. But God never meant for us to be automatons or, you know, oh, dumb robots. Yeah. What'd you say? Actually, learn what actually Bible says. That's right. Amen. So this is Hosea chapter 10. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they may, I mean, they have made goodly images. So what we got to understand here, it says Israel is an empty vine. Why is he an empty vine? He bringeth forth fruit. Now, some people would say, well, he brings forth fruit, so he can't be empty. But look at what it says, unto himself. Okay, according to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. So what they have made is unto themselves, not unto God. This is the surest way to become naked and not do what God says. I feel like in many ways, the Lord is also working with us concerning this. Because when you make fruit unto God, first of all, you don't make the fruit. God does. And he dictates what to do with it. But sometimes we get in God's way. When he's calling us to go out and do certain things that are that are different from routine, we should obey and do them. But what we tend to do is start to keep our little records, our little collection, our little things that we want to do. And then we try and, you know, invite God into it and lump them up in a box. We can't do that. So you see, Israel is empty because of this. But look at the reason why in verse two, their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. He shall break down their altars. He shall spoil their images. For now they shall say, We have no king because we feared not the Lord. What then should a king do to us? Now, there are some people that would be open with this, that would openly blaspheme God and say things like this. But you see, this can even be in a heart-to-heart affair because you got to understand in the old days, and I agree with Pastor Price when he says that etiquette or that uh, command authority is gone today. When really it should be. That's something you understand in military. That's something that the disciples understood before Jesus. That's something that Jesus even understood when he called Satan the God of this world. He didn't just call him, you know, that that little whatever. You know, he said the God of this world. Not that he was respecting Satan, but he was putting him in his rightful place 
He runs this world. But when you look at the fact that if you back then, if someone was your king and you lived under kingship, you did what that king said. Okay, whether you liked it or not, you dare not talk behind his back because word would get back that you had something to do with it. So people may not openly say, God is not my king, but gee, if he really was your king, if he is your savior and your Lord, then you're going to obey what God tells you to obey. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people's hearts are divided for things, for idols, for the world, you know, for what they can have for themselves. And you can't have a divided heart before God. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one or hate the other. But somehow I believe that, you know, Christians today, they really do believe that they have cooked up a scheme where they can love the Lord and love your neighbor. I mean, I mean, not that, sorry. They can love the Lord and love the world. And God does not want those two things intertwined. And one thing I'm learning too is you can't be in the world and not love the world. That's almost impossible to do aside from being led of the Spirit. And A.A. A. Allen brought up a great point when he says that if you're in the world, you know that you're going to eventually love something. If Satan has 5% of your heart, then really Satan does kind of control the whole thing because he'll only let you get but so far with Christ before he pulls on that string and you end up following him and doing what he says. How is it that you can give the devil a little bit of your heart and think that you're serving God? We have to serve God with a full heart. But you see, these guys' hearts are divided. Now, it may be 80-20, you know, God, but still, you know, you're only going to get 80% of the way before the devil pulls and you're back in the world. So these are things that he wants to separate us from. And I believe he's showing me exactly how to do this thing. And that means wherever we are, wherever we go, we first and foremost must obey the Spirit. And when we obey the Spirit, we must remain faithful unto God wherever he puts us and what he does with us. Amen. God didn't mind Paul being a tent maker, but the problem was, I mean, well, what, what the thing was here, Paul did what God said. It didn't hinder the gospel by any means. And he wasn't making tents every day of his life. There came a point where God had to move him in certain places so more of God's will could be done. Exactly. In the moment, because he, he was a tent maker by trade, so it's like, I, you know, if we if we are skillful in certain areas, hopefully more in the scripture and with God than anything else. But mm -hmm. it's just like whatever skills you have, he can utilize that to place you in a situation mm -hmm. to evangelize. That's right. Amen. Look at verse four, and it says they have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock, as bitterness or poisonous or venom in the furrows of the field. So you see now this field is becoming corrupt because these people are not towards God. Look at verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria, <clears throat> it's funny I'm sitting here fighting, you know, dumb with the cold. But when it comes time for study, the devil's going to try and, you know, you can always count on him to be a good devil. Look at verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of Beth Avon. Uh, for because, I mean, or for the people therefore shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof that rejoiced on it, for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. 
it shall be also carried unto Assyria for a present uh, to King Jerob, Ephraim shall um, receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed in his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as of foam upon the water. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars, and they shall say to the, to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. So what we got to understand about the word Avon, the word Avon actually means vanity. Now, we've done enough teaching speaking of vanity and how it is just so unprofitable. Vanity is like your breath when you're out in the cold. You breathe, you see your um, breath, and then it just dissolves. Well, this is exactly how, you know, God talks about things that are not in accordance with him. They're vanity. Even graduating from college, you got some benefits, some worldly benefits of that, but it's vanity. Even getting a brand new job and everything that you want to do in your life, yeah, they're nice things, but it's vanity. Because in the end, God is going to ask every single person, what have you done for me? And he's not going to allow you to tell him anything about this earthly life. He's going to want to know what you have spiritually done for the kingdom. So this place, Evan, means vanity. And it's saying that these people will eventually get to the place that you know, thorns and thistles are going to spring up. That's a type of sin or obstacles. And one day they're going to be standing before the Lord saying, let the hills fall on us because we don't want to see God's face. You don't want to come before the Lord like this. You want to remove all obstacles that you can be pure before him. Amen. Okay. So let's look at verse nine. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There, there they stood the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is in my desire that I should chastise them and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall, when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim is as an heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn, but it passed over upon uh, her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow and Jacob shall break his clods. So to yourselves in righteousness. This is what God is saying. If you do righteous, <clears throat> you've got righteous reward before God. If God wants you to have whatever it is, it's going to be righteous if you sow to righteousness. So he's saying, man, give to righteousness. So to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So God is pretty much telling them here, man, break up that fallow ground. Get aside the foolishness in all things that can corrupt your walk. Why? So that your fruit, your field can be fruitful, that it can be plentiful, that you have held back nothing from God. And God and Jesus says that every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. There is no way organically, even in the natural, that that cannot come to pass. If there is good seed in the ground, then good fruit will prosper from that. See, now what's unfortunate is sometimes you can sow good seed unto, you know, fruit or trees that don't want to go any further. This is why you've got to let God select 
what he wants to do with you. But when you're sowing good seed, it will bear forth fruit. And that is the bottom line, what God says. And it won't be bad fruit. So look at the instruction again. He says, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Now we've got to recognize if this isn't the time to seek God, then there's no time in history like it. The economy's about to collapse. Okay, so all the things that people hold dear, I don't know what they're going to do concerning that unless they know the true God. You've got uh, Russia and China that already bought the United States. Not that I care about this. Russia has the West Coast, if I'm not mistaken, and, and China has the East Coast. In the middle, Great Britain has their part. There's little places for France and Germany. But the United States has already been bought, sold, and paid for. Okay, it's going to be broken up into several pieces. The way that people are living in this American dream today, it's not going to be that way forever. So, you know, it's time to seek God because God may tell you to go somewhere else. God may tell you, yeah, while all that's going on, I'm going to take care of you right here. But you see, there's nothing like a good old persecution that's going to get God's people back on track to seeking his face. You know why we don't seek the Lord? Because he's just not that important right now. We've got too many things going on that allow our hearts to be divided that we can't see God. But you see, if you don't break up that fallow ground, if you're not giving over to fasting and giving over to prayer and giving over to seeking God, man, your field will look like, I mean, a mess. You'll be sitting here preaching Christ one minute and running off with the world the next. So when you don't break up that ground that God has given you, that you can sow seed and keep the process going, what will happen is you'll have a barren field. And I, hey, I speak from experience. I'm learning in so many ways, praise the Lord, that he's showing me that you cannot just stay where you are. You've got to draw close to God, so much so that Christ will one day make his abode in you, and then comes fruitfulness. So we've got to break up fallow ground. We've got to die out to self and everything in us that Christ can inhabit us. Verse 13, he says, Ye, ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity, ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. So as you can see, a mighty man can be, yeah, you know, relying on those in society with power. You know, it can be your family. It can be whatever. Whatever it is that you hold as a refuge can be a mighty man in your life. It is a type of protection for you. But when we step aside of those things, I mean, he says, you plow wickedness. Now, let's be real, man. I mean, even as Christians, for all the things that we have done in our lives, we have plowed wickedness. Okay, we have been involved in all sorts of sins. We have been involved in all sorts of idolatries. So many things that don't make God happy about us. Man, it's time to seek a real Christian life with Christ. Not, not a half-hearted one, a true one. So we can see this fruitfulness in God. He says, you reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Now, you know, no one has done this today more than the church where we believe that we can incorporate the world with the ways of God. And this is why the church is suffering. Because you see, I can tell people, or the Bible can tell you first and foremost, you need to die out to self. You need to be born again. 
Jesus said, if any man carries his cross, doesn't carry his cross, you can't even be a disciple. Now that's the Lord speaking. But you see, if your vessel, if your ground is not broken up, you're going to sow thorns. And you know what? You're going to listen to thorns. Thorns will be preaching in the pulpit telling you, well, you know, you can actually have your best life now. See, you know what Derek's problem is? He's, he, he takes things too serious. You know, he's a little bit crazy. You know, he's scary. And you know what I think his, part of his problem is? Because he don't have kids and he's not married. So he's bitter and mad at the world because, you know, he doesn't have certain things. But I, I think that if he did have a Maserati, you know, if he did have a, a business, then he would understand where we're coming from. The bottom line is Jesus himself said, unless we live a life of self-denial, we can't be disciples of Christ. But see, when you sow lies, when you reap lies, when you enjoy the fruit of lies, you're only going to bring forth more thorns. And that's why he says they will, the, the wicked, will, um, the evil will seduce and be seduced. They will deceive and be deceived because that's all they can bear when they don't follow Christ. Look at verse 14. Therefore shall a tumult arise among thy people and all thy fortresses shall be spoiled and Shalman spoiled uh, Bethabel uh, in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness in the morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. Now, you know, this is something where they spoke of what was to come. You know, many times in Hosea's time, they were battling Assyria, you know, eventually became, you know, Babylon and then Persia and Greece and Rome. But God is always warning his people, man, to draw closer to him. Jesus said the time will come when no man can work. And I'm not waiting for that time to discover Christ. I'm not waiting to become one of the foolish virgins that don't know God because I didn't break up that fallow ground. All obstacles, all things that might have been in my way, I didn't want to dig deep in Christ to let these things happen. So I'm not going to be one of the foolish virgins with no oil in their lamp and then ready to go and get some by the time the king is ready to marry you and shut the door. I realize when you follow Christ, it is in many ways a lonely walk. It doesn't have to be, but see, God calls you unto total obedience with him. Yes, God can bless you with a nice wife and husband and family, and God can make your life prosperous, but you've got to be on task with doing what God says. People think that they're going to make their money in disobedience. They think that they're going to sow to the winds and nothing is going to happen. What they are going to reap is the whirlwind because God comes a place where he gets to a place where he says in Acts 17 that you can be, you know, you did things in your ignorance. But there's going to come a point that God, he bared them, but now he's calling all men to repentance. So this walk, we're supposed to be growing with the Lord, not staying where we are. Because as God continues to move and you don't, he can get to the place to say, I don't know you. You know, when I was walking, hey, you used to walk with me, but now that I'm all the way up here on Broadway and you're all the way back here at the pier, I don't know you. Now that I'm living in California and you're over in New York, I don't know you. You were supposed to walk with me, but you chose to enjoy 
your carnal life. And that's why we've got to break up fallow ground. It's time to get a new refreshing rhema from Christ. Not the same old story. Not pray before me and fast. Don't you want to hear something real before the Lord? Don't you want to hear his instruction in your life? Telling you how to draw closer, how to rake in the harvest. We're only going to get these things if we break up that fallow ground and seek the face of God. A real relationship this time. Not one that that started out real and sincere. And now it's like God is the magic genie or just somebody that you talk to when you have things going on. It's time to draw in closer. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 4. That's one thing about God. When he sets you free, he also frees your heart. So you can say the things that he wanted you to say in liberty and feel nothing about it. You know, only obeying him. All right, let's look at Jeremiah 4 and let's look at verse 1. And it says, Jeremiah 4 and 1, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. So as we can see here and have an understanding of, this is God also commanding Israel, remove the, the abominations that we're in out of our sight. And what does he say in verse 2? That the nations that are in him that do this will be blessed, and in, and in him shall they glory. See, when we put God first and foremost, Man, God will, will shine forth and we will have his blessings. But when you do like America is doing, putting everything before him, yoga before him, Islam before him, homosexuality before him, and all these other abominations, then you're going to have what America is suffering with now. You know, 3,000 babies a day gone. God, he's got to judge America. So let's look at verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart. Ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none can quench it, because of the evil of your doings. So once again, we're hearing the same instruction in verse 3, that we need to break up that fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Because when we sow among thorns, that means we go after the things that are thorns. What are thorns? You know, worldly life, sinful life, things that don't have a heart after Christ. And because of this, God is saying that he's going to pour out his wrath upon them. You know, I'm like, at this point in my life, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. Lord, I'd rather follow you. I'd rather do what you say so that I can have those blessings in my life. So this is the second time he told them to break up their fallow ground. Hosea in his time was like 950, I think, B.C. Hosea was even before Isaiah, you know, the prophet, you know, back with Amos. They were about, you know, in the nines, like shortly after Elijah I think Hosea the prophet came up. So as you can see in Jeremiah's time, which came a little later, because the Bible's not written in chronological order. Right. 
you know, you have major prophets, minor prophets, kings, judges, whatever. But Hosea's time was before Jeremiah's time. And you can see God once again with Israel pleading with them to break up their fallow ground and push aside those things that are keeping us from drawing closer to the Lord. So he says, because of their evil doings, God will burn them or his fury will come upon them and none can quench it. He says, declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the, def into the defense cities. Set up the standard towards Zion, retire, stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. So it's funny how he says, set up a standard towards Zion and um, it says retire and stay not. It's almost like God is telling them, don't take this thing for granted. You know, get out of what you're doing. Don't remain there. Like he says in Revelation 18, telling people about the great whore, come out of her, my people, and don't be a partaker of her plagues. Because we don't realize that if we had to write down what truly is evil, it's really everyday life. And I know that's hard, man, for people to think about because most people would say, how can that be when I'm having such pleasure? Well, you know, the thing is, is you also may love God, but you love the ways of Satan too. You know, Satan is not someone that people think is just everything that associated with him won't make you feel good. That's why the Bible says that Moses enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. Because, you know, Satan is... He likes to dress in the finest. He even wrote a song about it. He likes to look the best. He likes to be with the best women. He likes to smell nice. He likes to enjoy all this vanity that we call, you know, beautiful cars and having nice houses and all. Satan says he's a man of wealth and taste. And you know what? I believe that because Jesus didn't come as someone wealthy and in taste. Jesus came as, you know, a man that wasn't comely that brought grace and truth, you know? And, and we got to look at this, that the devil is so ugly and so evil and so disgusting that he's got to entice you to pursue him. But you see, Jesus could just come with the truth. I'm sure Jesus right now is probably drop dead beautiful. You know, like to look at Jesus now when you see him, you probably die. But see, Satan came as he was made as the beautiful angel but if you could really see what he truly looks like, the Bible says he's a terror now. You know, he looks nothing like his original creation. Yep. So see, everything that may look good may not be good for us. Oftentimes you find that which is, you know, has to draw you through its beauty is really not something for you. It's, it's bad. Mm -hmm. All right. So where am I? I believe I'm in uh, verse, verse seven. So it says the lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. Now notice, he said a lion will come and do this. Now you remember a lion, the Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. But lion was also a symbol for Babylon, which eventually did take over Israel. And you know, Babylon, it's so funny how even though it was one of the first societies, 
even it today still holds a lot of weight. Where do we get our holidays from? Babylon. Where do we get witchcraft from? Babylon. All this filthy sexual perversion and sin, where did it come from? Babylon. So Babylon has incredible influence today in society. So we can take the warnings that Jeremiah through the Lord was giving them to hold to ourselves. Because like I said, America doesn't even realize the amount of destruction that's coming. A.A. Allen told you about it being blown up and seeing troops and Henry Groover and David Wilkerson said they saw it, but I don't think people really knew who exactly was coming. That's all being confirmed. That's why we better learn how to speak Russian. Huh? I'm just playing, but anyway. So it says um, in verse 8, For this gird, uh, you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And it shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, and the heart of the princes and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophet shall wonder. Then said uh, I, Our Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people, and Jerusalem saying, Ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth upon the soul. Now see, what I'm saying tonight may be kind of harsh, and it may even get people to the place of, you know, I don't want to think about this. So they'll turn towards peace. That's why he says that people will turn back, look forward to peace, but then they don't even realize the sword is coming upon the land. Hey, I'm here to tell people the truth because one thing I want to be is in good standing with God. You don't help people by lying to people. It is time for us to seek God. Verse 11, at that time shall it be said uh, to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the high places in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan nor to cleanse. Even a full wind from those places shall come unto me now until, I mean, come unto me now. Also will I give sentence against them. Behold, he shall come up as clouds and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. So, you know, there's nothing worse than a spoiled child or a spoiled people because spoiled people have real difficulty in taking things serious. Spoiled people even, you know, won't even think that it's their responsibility to seek God. You know, and it's unfortunate. You got spoiled people all in society today, in churches, in other places where they just think, no matter what I do, no matter how I live, God's going to love me and he's going to be with me. But Jeremiah is saying, hey, man, you know, we are spoiled. Verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? So he keeps going back to this vanity and these vain thoughts. You know, I guarantee you, if we were to all write down what is most important to us in this life, I guarantee you at some point God would call it vanity. No matter what you think it is that's so important, you know, God will call it vanity. It's still not as important as doing what I'm telling you to do. And that's what we got to understand about God's love. It's broader than our families. It's broader than our friends. It's broader than our self-fulfillment and, and, and pleasures and our environment. God simply knows this. This world is going to be burned up. And he sent prophets. 
He sent the Messiah. He sent apostles. He sent disciples. He sent the Holy Ghost to come and get people ready for it because God wants people saved to be with him in eternity. That's what this whole thing is about. But you see, if we are worldly minded, if we are earthly minded, if we love this life, it's hard to see past this. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to understand that there is more true love, a great treasure that God wants us to have beyond this. Because this is where we have found our comfort. And God's trying to pull us from this that we can understand what real love is. Verse 15, for a voice declareth from Dan and publisheth affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make ye mention to the nations, behold, publish again Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. As keepers of the field are they against her round about, because she hath been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Thy way and thy doings have procured these um, things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto thine heart. So that's why Jesus always said, that our hearts have to be right. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's so important that we understand that loving the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, and soul is the greatest and first commandment because if it's not there, your heart will love something. See, some people think, well, I may not love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, but it's no place else either. That's not true. Your heart, that's why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. We as fallen beings just have a natural inclination to love things, to be attached to things. We can't just go in the playground and play with a friend or someone and then walk away. We naturally have to get their number. We naturally want to spend time with people. We love our families. You know, we love our hobbies. We love things that are just not really a part of the plan of God. The human heart can attach to anything. And I mean anything at all. You can find two degenerate gamblers would bet on two cockroaches racing up the wall. And that will be their heart. That would be something that they find as, you know, great to them. But it's just something that we got to understand. The heart can attach to anything. And that's why God tells us to guard it with all diligence. Knowing your heart is not pursuing God. You know, I mean, I didn't mean for that to be funny, but it's the truth what you can find favor in. Sarah and I used to play pool all the time. And I mean, we used to get to the point where if one of us lost, we would be mad going home that we didn't even really want to talk to the other one or we would feel like we failed in some great thing that went on. When I used to get mad, I didn't want to talk to Sarah. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. See, you know what the problem is. This is what I used to say. God did this, you know, because of the fact that I'm fasting and he doesn't want me to really enjoy sports that much. Do you think God cares about two pine sticks, okay, knocking marble balls into a hole just for our pleasure? Do you think God is even concerned about that in the least bit? But this is what we do. Even when we play sports, we pray to God for the strength to continue. Now, I mean, that would be good if you gave the glory to God, but we got to understand 
God's not in this. God doesn't care about that. Sports was invented by Satan. And then I looked up a special that talked about that the Illuminati came up with sports just to, um, you know, uh, what do they call it? Mind control over the population. Just to get people not thinking about what's real. And that's why people become fanatics. It's just a game. But look at how we will jump from the stands, punch somebody in the face, you know, paint our faces gold and blue, you know, and be out in 20 degrees with no shirt on, screaming for our team. This is the power of vanity. This is the power of the devil. This is how the devil can just make you rest in things and, and, and really try and plant fruit among these thorns that have nothing to do with God. So the devil has got such a fun society because he's trying to keep us from the only most important thing that matters. Yes, sir. And look at the cheerleaders. Yeah. Football and stuff like that. Well, I should say what they're not wearing because most of them, it's like, dude, it's like, oh, but yeah. it appeals. They go out there like that and the guys get all excited and mm-hmm. aroused. I mean, it's like porn pretty much in your face, but mm-hmm. the lack of what they're wearing. Yeah. And they get all excited and they shake themselves and stuff in front. But I mm. agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly because look at how much these guys are getting paid to throw a football around. I mean, since when do we have to get naked to say, give me an A, <laughs> give me a B. You got to be naked for that. But see, this is all a part of the devil's plan that, you know, he's got people drinking beer and football and enjoying the game. And like I said, you talk bad about somebody's team and watch how the person feels about you. Whatever is your God, you will defend and you will get angry over. But people can insult your Lord and you won't say a word. Man, we got to be real in our hearts who we are before God. So let's look at, uh, I believe... I am in uh, verse 19. He says, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. So Jeremiah spent so many years trying to tell people about get it together or else, you know, before God. And this man is in pain in his heart. I doubt there are many pastors today that feel pain when they preach the gospel, when they talk to people. I think they push a lot of love, which is which is great, but they don't. I don't see many of them that have that anguish. Like like uh, what's his name, David Wilkerson said. Where's the anguish? Where's the pain in your heart towards knowing that you sitting there looking at a congregation of people that ninety percent of them are going to hell. You know, where is that? Where's the anguish towards that? And then some people could say, well, you don't know. How do you know it's 90%? Hey, Jesus said, few there be, they find the way. That's all I need to know. And, and notice when it ever came to Israel being saved, he always took a tenth. And it will be a tenth that will be saved. You know, eight people out of the whole world got on the ark. And you want me to believe that you know, 50% of the people are going to be saved in churches. I doubt that number is is seriously high. I even think 90% is kind of low. When you really look at Satan was able to persuade a third of the angels to follow him, and they were bright beings. So imagine man that's down here with all this fun, 
that refuses to acknowledge God. I mean, it's going to be a real high number of those who will and those who won't. But where's the anguish for the people to tell the man to seek God for real? And instead, they're having appreciation dinners and pine cake sales and all this other garbage. And I'm like, man, people are going to hell. You know, what part of that don't we understand? Yes, sir. Exactly. And that's the new breed that God is looking for, because you see to some of these pastors, I doubt that they're worried about the people is why they're not preaching it. They're worried about self. And you see that church and that congregation is an idol unto them. That's why God has got to take idols out of your life. That's why I love what he did tonight. And I want him to continue to do these things that we've got to understand that God is God. And the only reason that we serve him is for him and for no other purpose. But we've got to get to that place of having idols removed in our lives. So he says in verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tent spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sodish children, which are foolish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Now this is so true. You know, if you look at doing bad things or evil things. Man, we're real wise when it comes to that. But when it comes to knowing God and what God calls for us to do, man, you, you find the church is really ignorant when it comes to this. It's true. Many people have gotten to the stage of being baptized in the spirit. But how many people after that allow God to run their lives? How many people are actually seeking God for more? So you see, the devil has also had people idolizing spiritual gifts. And, and he's also got people believing that this is as far as you need to go in God. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's how the charismatic movement jumped in to the Pentecostal and Baptist movements and destroyed them both. You know what I realized that, that happened to the um, Baptist movement? They weren't all not believing in the Holy Ghost. 
that doctrine came maybe in the last 60 or 70 years. But there was a point when the Baptists themselves sought the spiritual gifts of God and did what God said. Now, there's no such thing as a Baptist church, okay? They don't exist. That's a, there's no such thing as a Pentecostal church, okay? It's being um, of Pentecost, of the true church of God. But the Pentecostals, you know, that is the really only church that exists, okay? But the charismatic movement was able to come in, got people talking in tongues, wild everywhere, no rules, all types of spiritism is coming, and that's not how Paul said to do it. Right. Paul says, if any among you speak with tongues, he said that there should be only one or two or someone speaking and one or two there to interpret what is being said. But you don't see that today. Paul is saying not to speak. He doesn't say don't speak in tongues. He says that it shouldn't be going on where everybody in the place is speaking in tongues because you're not speaking to man, to edification. You're speaking to God. And he says if someone's doing that and there's no interpreter, that person should be taken out and sent home. Why? Because you don't know what's being said. The only purpose of a congregation is for edification in the spirit that people may have understanding. That's the whole purpose. There's nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. You can get home and speak as much as you want with the Lord. Okay, you can have your prayer time and your worship. But the Bible makes clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that there should be order brought to it and how it's done. There's nothing wrong with the gift, but the gift has been abused. You got stuff going on in there and nobody can understand what's being said. What is the point in everybody? No, seriously, because I love the gift of tongues and I love the Holy Ghost. I love what God has given us. But what is the point in there if everybody's speaking in tongues and nobody knows what's being said? There isn't one interpreter in the building to say what was just said. So what would be the purpose of it? Now, some people would say, well, it's only that we might praise the Lord. I get that. I'm just saying clearly what Paul stated, how it should be. There's nothing wrong with praising the God or, or even having a prayer meeting where everybody get together and, and, and speak in tongues together and pray. That's awesome. But before a congregation, there should be edification in what's being said. Because God may be, if you're speaking in tongues, God may be bringing something back. What's coming out of you, God may mean for other people to know. Okay, so that's why it's important that there is edification. And I know people don't like that, but read 1 Corinthians 14, because that's what Paul was explaining. So things wouldn't get out of order. I know people got a hard time with that, but it's the truth. Let's go to um, let's go to John uh, 12. John 12, and let's look at verse 23. But see, there are people that idolize these things. I've seen some tongue-talking Christians are some of the most proud people in the world. They will, they will openly get around people in congregations and groups, and you know what they'll tell you? Yeah, I was, I was worshiping, worshiping the Lord, you know, um, so much last night that I was speaking in tongues, and, you know, I just couldn't control. Now, they're not saying that because they're excited about what God is doing. They want everybody to know that I am spiritual. I have reached a place of being baptized. I can speak in tongues, and you can't. This is how people have become idolaters because many people believe now that I speak with tongues, I've arrived. And that's not true. You've got to continue with God. 
Because some people may say, all right, I'm speaking in tongues, I made it. Okay, so then the next thing is you got the spirit of discernment. What about the word of knowledge? What about the working of miracles? And I'm not saying that we're comparing with anybody, but you got to understand, you've got to receive all of Christ. You can't stop and just start worshiping one thing and becoming vain in that. You've got to desire God all the days of your life. But a lot of people have become idolaters and proud too, you know, and God's going to work that out with people. But these things occur when we don't break up fallow ground. And I'll tell you another interesting thing. Do you know of any vineyard or any garden that you can leave unattended and it'll grow by itself? Okay, so you know that just because your fruit and your, your um, what do they call it, your vegetables and everything are growing right now, if you don't tend to them and water them, do you think that they're going to stay like that? No. See, so this is the point that even though we may begin to bear fruit with Christ, if we don't break up that ground and allow God to tend to that land, as soon as that land can be fruitful, it can be barren. You've got to stay with God. Jesus says, what happens when you disconnect from the vine? You wither it away. Okay, so he's telling them clearly, you've got to continue with God. But some people, they just stop right there. And then people are thinking, what is he getting at tonight? What does he really want to say to the people? I'm saying what I'm saying, you know. So this is Matthew 12. Let's look at verse 23. Oh, John, sorry. John 12, and this is verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So this is, I love the scripture because Jesus is using organic terms, but he's also speaking of a corn of wheat will fall to the ground and die. He says, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. So Jesus is making it clear here with one simple thing. Yes, Jesus died for your sins, our sins, you know, and for the sins of those to come. Yes, Jesus bared on the cross everything for you and I. But what Jesus also wants now is for you to die. That's what people are, are failing to realize. And that's why he says, right after speaking of the corn, he says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. So you've got to hate this life. I'm not talking about hate being alive, but I'm saying everything that the world says. When people bring up politics to you, you should be in that place. Oh, man, I don't want to hear garbage. There ain't nothing but two lying people up here anyway that's not telling the truth. And then they say, well, who do you vote for? Oh, you must have voted for Trump. I'm for nobody. I'm from Jesus Christ and his kingdom. But you see, this is where we've got to be. We've got to hate this life, this bios, this physical life. Not hate people. Not hate the day that you were born. You know, I'm not talking about anything like that. But I'm talking about just hating the way that the world does things. And you know when God has really got his hooks in you because you do begin to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Whenever someone brings up something worldly, and I know, you know, you guys have both witnessed that with me. Or somebody brings up something worldly and I'm, man, that's garbage. Mm -hmm. 
You know, <laughs> bottom line, you can see from the bottom it's fake, you know, or whatever. But it's not that I'm trying to be a party pooper. It's more to do with, I don't like this. This is garbage. The only thing that matters is Jesus. Amen. You know? Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So that makes very clear here that we got to break up that ground, allow ourselves to die, not physical death, but to die out to self that Christ can live in you. He says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. He didn't say, if any man serve me, just praise and worship me. Yeah, you do that, but you got to see, if Jesus says, let him follow me, that means Jesus is on the move. Jesus is working on this garden. Jesus has got souls to win. So when the Lord breaks up your ground and you begin to bear fruit, then what God will have you do is work in his vineyard. You see how he says the, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Many of us are not even fit to work. So we've got to allow ourselves to be fit for the master's use that not only will our ground be broken up, but we can break up the ground of others so that Christ in you can lay seed. Why? So that there can be more fruit in the vineyard. But we're not going to do this unless we hate this life. He used the word, hey, I didn't say that. This is Jesus saying it. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. Unto this hour. So, this is interesting too with Jesus because Jesus knows he's got to die. But Jesus is saying, now what should I say? Father, deliver me from this. But he's saying, man, this is the purpose I came. As Christians, we've got to come to that conclusion. This is the reason we are here. Yes, we get married. Yes, we have children. Yes, we make money and we provide for hours. But the only thing your kid is going to be doing Okay, or well, the only reason why God allows you to have children is that they may know Christ. Amen. That is the full purpose of this. But people will sit back, idolize their kids, let them run wild, you know, have joy in their little, this is my little bundle of joy. It should be God's little bundle of joy. I think every child born to a Christian should be dedicated back to the Lord so that God can do something with them. Too many people holding their treasure for self. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Praise the Father. Verse 29, uh, the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered others. It thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. So we got to really ask ourselves sometimes what truly is thunder. See, the, the, you know, scientists and all these people will tell you when the atmosphere heats up, lightning comes and there's thunder. Hey, for all I know, it could be God speaking to the people. It could be war in heaven. You don't know what's going on because these people lie so much. But I think if they were to tell us, yeah, guys, when you hear thunder, that really is God proclaiming or an angel proclaiming. See, people would take God more serious. So you see how we bask in lies, how we bask in things like, well, you know, um, yeah, it's just thunder. But if you knew that God was really speaking, because that's what we were raised to know. We were taught that when it thunders and lightens, that God is speaking. My dad used to tell us 
all of you remain quiet in here. And you know what? You don't even have to tell people that when there's a thunder and lightning storm. You ever realize that? Yeah. Everybody's sitting in the house with the lights out, hoping you're not struck by lightning. But then everyone remains quiet while the thunder and everything is going on. But that just tells you that we have a, a natural thing with us that if this is God that is speaking, we know how to be quiet. Because it's terrifying, you know, at times. And people are saying, he really lost it now. <laughs> Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. So Jesus just gave us another hint. First of all, he talks about where our hearts have to be, what we have to hate in this life. And Jesus is saying, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. So how can we draw or lift up Jesus if our hearts are someplace else in the world? You see how you, how you win a soul, how you actually ring in the harvest? Christ has got to be lifted up. You've got to promote him above all. If Jesus is lifted up, then all men will be drawn unto Jesus. But what we tend to do is, yeah, I'll mention Jesus, but I want you to know how much I know about Jesus. See, how much I know in the Bible, that's what I really want other people to know. I'm not lifting up Jesus. But see, God knows if your heart is pure towards him, if Christ be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto that vessel that has Christ in him. That's what this is about. This is how we bear fruit in that fallow ground. We've got to die out to self that Jesus Christ lives in us. Let's go to Luke 9. Luke chapter 9. go to Luke 9 let's start at verse 1 and it says then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick so as you can see 
the gospel is truly complete when you got the gift of God there with you, you know, to, to confirm what is being said. Only way we're going to get that, break up fallow ground. Verse 3, and he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither uh, have two uh, coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. So Jesus made clear he didn't want them taking anything carnal because he wanted them to trust him every step of the way. That's important because if they had their own, they can say, well, the Lord just gave us good instruction to carry carnal things. But gee, there are people that actually live like this. Henry Groover don't pack no big briefcase when he goes somewhere. You know, he goes, does what the Lord says, you know, and the Lord provides for him as he goes and what happens. So verse six, and they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. Now you knew Herod actually beheaded John the Baptist for Herodias' sake, but now he's scared to death thinking John came back. So, you know, naturally he's thinking of himself. But what does that tell us about John the Baptist as we had that teaching about him last week? John was like Christ. Anybody, any prophet that ever served the Lord was like Jesus. Remember the teaching we did two years ago, like two years ago, yeah, like this month, um, that we did the teaching of Elijah and how Elijah was like Jesus. I mean, when you look at everything they did, it was almost like a mirror of what they both did. Only thing he didn't do was die on the cross for us. All right, so uh, verse 8, and some, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John hath I beheaded, but who is this, of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went uh, aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. You know what Bethsaida means? House of fish. So in other words, he's taking them to a place where he can fish. He's showing them how to fish. He's, he's coming for abundance, you know, and things that they will need. This is all about winning souls. But as you can see back in the last verse, they said Elias, they said an old prophet. So once again, those who serve Christ were like Christ. So how are we going to come up trying to be who we are aside from Jesus? We've all got to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. All right, so it says, um, is it, where is it? Oh, verse 11, okay. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve, and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the town and country round about, and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. 
And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. And they, and they were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in fifties in a company, like in a group. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break and gave to the disciples and set before the multitude and they did eat and were all filled and there was taken up a fragment uh, that remained of them 12 baskets full or 12 baskets. So as you can see, there were seven pieces of food there representing the spirit, you know, seven is a number for God and that 12 was the government of God having 12 baskets full. So this is all we need if we just give it to the Lord, okay? All we need is the Spirit, okay, and to follow Christ, and we just need his government, and God's will will be done. So when people talk about this world falling apart and all this stuff happening, hey, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm expecting the Lord to do this with me when I am lacking. This is the type of faith we ought to have. But if our hearts are divided in the carnal and in the world, this will be impossible to you. What you'll do is sell everything for the mark of the beast. Verse 18, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. Now, why did he do this? Because Jesus was going to expose himself to all. And it was important that they understood who he was through their experience, through their faith. Not because somebody told them, not because he told them, but because they believed on the works of God that they believed from what he did that he was the Messiah. This is a conclusion we've all got to come to. Is he Christ or is he not? Because if he's the Messiah, we should be following him, not our own desires. If he's the Messiah, then he is the only one that can take us back. Amen. That's why he wanted to hear it from them. Because if not, you guys can go on with your life since you don't know who I am or believe I'm the Christ. If you think I'm just some good man helping the people, you may as well go back to the life you live. This is all about knowing Christ. Verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross every year and follow me. He says daily. It doesn't say every year, does it? Daily, we are to take up our cross and live for Christ. What is that cross for? The crucifying of yourself that Christ can live in you. So every day, we are to be more and more like Jesus. All right? Verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? 
Now, you see, these are legitimate threats. This is, I mean, or, you know, things that Jesus is saying. Hey, man, do you realize that as we live in this world, that you can lose everything, that you can be a castaway? So it's important that you understand this is not just a thing with you and Jesus. He's going to wait for you while you do all your worldly stuff and then tell him you'll meet him somewhere about 4 o'clock and the two of you can get together again. You stand in danger of losing your way with God. He said you could be a castaway if you love this world. I'm not saying we're not growing in grace. Of course we are. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he could actually go enjoy one high mm-hmm. without Jesus because he felt bad going with the Jesus. Yeah. And so when he asked the Jesus to stay outside the bar, he went in, had his time, had mm-hmm. drinks and stuff. He came out and Jesus wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And he said that Jesus left him and he actually lost his salvation. And he was praying and crying. And Didn't you cried. say he went to pastors and everything? Yes, and- he was crying and crying and you don't want to fool around. You remember I mentioned that story because I told you Anna told me that. But, yeah. you know, that's something that people ought to understand. When you get closer with God, you better realize what you're forsaking. Mm-hmm. Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime shot. Yeah. You only get one lifetime to be with Christ. And the fact that Jesus was walking with this man and, and living in him, so much so that the Lord warned him, don't do it. And he went, and no, and it wasn't so much that he sinned, it was the direction that he gave the Holy Ghost. Wait here while I go and do whatever. It's one thing if you fall in sin and you ask for forgiveness. Yeah. It's another thing to ask God so my conscience can feel right. Can you go away for a little bit so I can go and indulge in the world? Right. Hey, man, you don't want to fool around with God. That's scary. It is scary. So this is verse uh, 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's uh, and of the holy angels. So remember when the people said that they would be ashamed, that they would want God to tell the rocks to fall on them for the coming of Christ. This is what Jesus is addressing here. If you be ashamed to preach the gospel, See, the only reason that people are ashamed to preach the gospel, honestly, one, they haven't given themselves over to the Lord to bear fruit to know it. And two, they really are ashamed. That's the only reason when you would have fear to preach the gospel. I could lose my job if I do this. Hey, man, who's bigger? Is it Christ or is it your job? Because Jesus told his disciples, man, go out there with nothing and I'll provide everything. I'm not saying... That God doesn't have his time. But we've got to be realistic in our hearts so that the matter can be fixed. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Because our very countenance, the way that we live, witness against us. We can say we love the Lord, but okay, if that's the case, why aren't you knocking on your neighbor's door proclaiming Christ? Because you're ashamed. Or you got things that you feel are more important than Christ. Hey man, this is something for us all. The Lord said, don't spare a soul. Tell it like it is. Verse 27, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about the, about the eight days 
after these things, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Now, if you notice, um, the Luke account is a secondhand account. But if you look at the Matthew account, Matthew made clear six days they walked with the Lord, but on the seventh day, he took them up into the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus walked with them six days, but on that seventh, he was going to show them something spiritual. Luke here mentions at about eight days. You know, he didn't exactly say eight days. He said it came to pass about in eight days. So Luke was only going according to what he heard, which this is the, the you know, the biblical doctrine. He was inspired by the Lord. But you see, Matthew had a firsthand account where he knew how many days they walked with the Lord and went up because Matthew was a disciple. You know, Luke was a disciple too, but he just didn't walk with Christ. He walked with Paul. Okay, so um, look at verse 30 or verse 31. And it says, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, uh, which, should be, which should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and to let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, uh, not knowing what he said. So you see, Peter was a little ignorant, but this is something that we've got to understand. You see how quickly, even though Jesus said, deny yourself in this very chapter and follow me, Peter's here talking about making a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah. You see how man's heart is? how we cling to things, how we can quickly become idolaters. But this is all because, you know, this is man. And this is why God has to constantly put us back on track. You know, this is what happens. You all right, sir? Yeah. All right, so verse 34. While, the, while he thus spake, there came a shadow and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. So Jesus knew that they were going to be his closest apostles. The father had to come and get that mess straight quick. This is only my son that you worship. But if you notice, Jesus wanted them to see him with Moses and Elijah to let him know they know me. I'm the Lord of the Old Testament. See, God wants you to draw close where you have that faith that, man, it ain't about Moses. What I saw today was Moses and Elijah bowing down to Jesus. You know, if those were your Old Testament heroes, you've got one greater than them here that you should worship. So Jesus wants us to know him in this light that we can have that kind of faith. He doesn't mean for anybody to be an idolater. This is what I want. All right. So anyway, he says, um, verse 37, And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. 
And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my child, or my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, the spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, and he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departed from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? I mean, and suffer you. Bring thy son hither. So Jesus is calling this generation today faithless and perverse. We got to understand what faithless is. That's unbelieving. Okay, perverse. That means that you are confused. That's another word for perversion is confusion. You're so tied up with this and that in this life that you can't even cast out a devil and you're supposed to be one of my disciples. This is where we should all be ashamed. If we've never casted out devils, we should be in that place of seeking God that these things can be done. But in order for that to happen, you've got to disappear so that Christ can live in you. But he called them faithless and perverse. He said, man, how long will I suffer you? You guys are walking with me and your faith ain't no better than it ever was. So this is where God is expecting them to do more. <coughs> Amen. And that's true. That's very true that it is a growth process. But at the same time, it's like if we are too complacent or too comfortable in our walk with the Lord, then we won't even be willing to seek after these things because the devil may lie to us and say, well, you know, you do enough for the Lord on a daily basis. You give to people. You help the homeless. You know, you go out and you preach the gospel. And That's the funny thing, too, is that I mean, the devil preaches out of the King James Bible now because he knows that he believes in what our life left. And so it's like, he will get us in whatever thing that we're holding dear to. Like he's saying tonight, if we've got a pony in this race, things that we hold dear to, it's like... I love my family and I love certain people in my life, but I've gotten to that point where it's like I don't really miss them. And that's something the Lord was talking to me about today because it's like if you really like miss somebody, then you can get caught up in that emotion and the devil will plague. And it's not that you don't love your family, but it's like we got to stay so focused. And that's going to come off cold to, to, to a lot of people. Like, you don't miss your family? Why not? It's like because my attention's focused on the Lord because I don't know if my family's going one way and I'm going another way, then I'm going with Jesus. And see, here's the thing. What Sarah couldn't have said was a truer thing. I mean, Jesus said, and this is in Luke 14, and that's coming up, but we're not going to read that tonight. But he says, unless you hate your mother, your father, your brother, sister, whatever, you can't be his disciple. Now, what is he saying? Unless you're hated by them. Unless you can take being hated by them, you can't be a disciple. That means that Jesus is first and foremost. But for me, I love my family. I love that they bring forward, you know, they, they support this ministry and they do different things, you know, and they get a lot out of the teachings, praise the Lord. But I agree with Sarah. You love them. You miss them, but not the way that you used to. Something else is happening in your life where Jesus becomes your everything. So it's just like you don't have a, 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's like something that you, it doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, like seeing them and seeing another believer in Christ is almost about the same. I mean, in some cases more because yeah. it's going to come down to a place of where's your faith. But she says, you know, it's possible they may be going in a different direction. This can be true because I realize my siblings, I love my mom and dad. My dad listens to the radio shows and he enjoys that. You know, when we talk, um, my mom, you know, we talk about some things and my sister, older sister, but my younger sister and I, Dawn, we're like this because we eat up Jesus. We feed on the world. We talk about things that are going on when spiritual blessings and things are done. We talk about the Lord. And because of that, we communicate more because we have a like precious faith. Mm -hmm. So you see, when, when you don't have or you are surrounded by people, though they may be family and they don't really have that, you know, fervent desire for the Lord or to serve him, you start to see separation playing out because what you want is different, mm -hmm. you know? And, and it's not that you love them any less, but it's just some things you realize you're being taken in another direction. It's almost like a man who is who's enlisting in the military and he's got to be sent off to war or to a foreign country. You recognize you're not going to speak to your family every day and you're not going to see them every day. Mm -hmm. And you've got to cope and come to that reality Hey, I'm enlisting in war right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm involved in what God's got going on. I'm in his army. So he dictates what I do. And that's why people have truly got to understand the term born again. Born again is not just you forsaking your sin and going forward with Christ. It's also forsaking the world. It's also recognizing, yes, mom, you raised me and I love you dearly, but I'm born again. I'm a new creature in Christ. My second life is to follow Christ above all. Christ is really your parent. God the Father is your father. Jesus Christ is your commander. So when you get to that place of, yes, mom and dad, I love you, but I'm born again. It doesn't mean that you don't love them, but your life, your second life is for Christ. It's headed towards eternity. And anything that's not going that way will not make it, you know, you can't, <clears throat> excuse me, pay attention to. You've got to continue on. Amen. And this is going to be proven too toward the end of this. But look at verse 42. And he says, and as uh, he was yet a coming, uh, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. So this is a different account. It says as Jesus was coming towards the, the child, the demons saw him and took off. And Jesus rebuked the spirit and they healed the child. But it says while he was coming, while, or while the child was coming, the demon already took flight. You know, like I'm getting out of here because I know Jesus is coming. Man, what authority. All right, verse 43. And they were all amazed at the, at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these sayings sink down into your ears. So what is he saying? Break up that fallow ground so we can plant some seeds. For the son of man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them. And they perceived it not, 
and they feared to ask him of that saying. Then there arose a reasoning among themselves, among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. So what does that mean? Least self-denying. That's who the greatest in the, in the kingdom of heaven is. Someone that has given his life over so that Jesus can fill it. To be a servant, not a dictator. Not, I want you all to be here and there and do this for me. This is more about self-denial. That even when people don't show up for study, even when people talk garbage behind your back because they conspire against you, even when people hate your guts claiming to love you, you still got to serve in the name of Jesus and love Jesus and do what Jesus would do. Okay, Jesus knew that there was a, a man... Um, Judas, that was in his camp the whole time, that sought to kill him. Jesus knew he was a traitor, but Jesus still gave him the same purpose of moving forward with him. Man, we got to understand these things in God because this is the type of heart he's after. If I'm a part of this ministry because I want to be liked or I want to be loved, then I may as well stop where I am because this is about Christ. This is not about me. So see, he who is greatest that denies self will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you've allowed Christ to come into you and work through you. This ain't taking no personal jabs or anything like that. This is just making a point. This is my experience and praise the Lord for it. Praise his holy name that I get to be made an example for Christ that I can grow. We all need to bear our cross. All right, so he says in... Um, Verse 49, and John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So this man was a believer. He might not have been one. Of, he was a disciple, but he wasn't one of the disciples. But he saw what they were doing and he copied. Jesus said, don't forbid this man. This man believes, you know, and he wants to come and do what we're doing. And obviously God permitted it because he casted the demon out. Verse 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So they're saying that Jesus looked like a Jew. He didn't look like a Samaritan. So they began to be prejudiced against Jesus. You know, they didn't think that Jews should be with Samaritans because that's the way it used to be. All right, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
and they went to another village. So Jesus couldn't perform miracles there because these people were prejudiced. They didn't want Jesus doing anything for them. But Jesus said, get it right. And this is where we all got to be in our hearts. Jesus came to save men. If we're in this ministry for any other reason other than to save lives, then we are not of Christ. Okay, so that means you got to put what happened to you personally away from you because the whole goal is souls being saved. This is not what you did to me. If I care what someone did to me, then I'm an idolater. Okay, because I'm concerned for me and my feelings and what I want, not what God wants. A vessel shouldn't be complaining about anything because he's just a vessel. Right. Verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. You know, Jesus told this person straight up, and it's important that we understand, don't you ever tell Jesus you want to be a sacrifice unto him and not mean it. You better mean what you say, because when you walk with Christ, there's no telling where you're going to end up with him. But that, but you know what? If he really is who he says he is, and we love him, then what difference does it make? See, we've got to love Jesus to the place of, Lord, no matter where you put me, no matter where I go, no matter what you want me to do, even if it means I've got to separate from ministry, I've got to separate from family, I've got to be away from my wife at a certain time, or kids, or whatever. I've got to be able to walk this way with Christ. Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, I'm just telling you what's going to happen. Okay? Verse 59, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus interested in? Bearing fruit. What is Jesus interested in? Winning souls. What is Jesus interested in? The will of the Father. That's it. And I know that's a hard reality for people because this guy's got to be saying, this is my father. You know, like he just died. You know, let me go and marry him. I said I was coming. But what is the Lord saying? We ain't got a moment to waste. If you're coming, then come because I'm going, whether you come or not. Man, we got to see Jesus this way. Verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home and my house. That sounds simple. I mean, when you think about it, Lord, I, look, I got a family that I answer to. I just want to go and tell them I'm leaving. Okay, I love you all. Take care, and I'll follow you. Let's see what the Messiah says. Verse 62. And Jesus said unto them, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So why you find a lot of people's grounds full of thistles and thorns and not bearing fruit is because they refuse to let God break up that land to be productive. You see what the devil will use against you here? You see how the devil makes you think that there are things more important than him? This is why the harvest is plenty but the laborers are few because there were few that will put their hands to the plow and not look back. You know, for um, second Corinthians chapter four and I'm done, but you see what we got to understand too is 
That's why he gave parables like the parable of the sower. Some people let the word come and just leave because they weren't paying attention to begin with. Then there were some people that would, um, what does he say? They received the word with joy. They were happy about it. But then when they find out persecution and tribulation comes, they become offended and walk away from God. A lot of people are going to be offended by his teaching tonight. But, you know, if I'm here to please men, then I'd worry about that. But right now, I care about what God thinks, okay? And the thing is, is that, what did he say, the third group? They hear the word. But the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches deceive the people and they become unfruitful. And what did he say about the last group? Them that hear the word and do with it, they will ring in a harvest, which is what? Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So you see, God looks for productive people. He already says what's going to happen to every tree that won't allow himself to be broken up and bring forth fruit. He said it's no good. They're hewn down and cast into the fire. And I'm not trying to promote fear tonight. Our God is full of love, grace, and mercy. But what we better understand is, is that God says what he means, and he means what he says. And if God calls this world wicked, then this world is wicked. I'm not going to look for positives here and say, well, God meant some things, but God understands. I don't know, man. That's something you better seek between you and God, because I want what God has, and that's where it begins. All right, so this is um, 2 Corinthians 4. And if you guys in your spare time read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because you understand that, that Paul makes comparisons here. He said the first man is earthy and earth-like. The second man is the Lord from heaven. You know, he says that some people have, um, you know, natural bodies. Eventually, they're going to be given spiritual bodies. So we, we have to ever increase in our faith with Christ to walk with Christ. Amen. And um, if you look at, in your spare time, read James chapter 3, where it talks about the power of the tongue. The tongue can get you in a lot of trouble saying things that God didn't permit you to say. But he says at the end of that chapter that that wisdom, or he says you can't drink of clean waters and bitter waters. Okay, you can't be double-minded. The same water that flows out of the good river should always, you know, bring forth good water or clean water, not bitter water. So we can't be double-minded, all right? And then he says, what? That wisdom doesn't come from above. Double-minded don't come from God. It comes from, what does he say? It's earthly, sensual, which is natural-minded, and lastly, devilish, okay? So you go from being earth-minded to sensual, soulish feeling. And then lastly, it can only lead you to demonic, to devilish, okay? And then when you look at that which is peaceable and of God, the Bible says it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy, not full of hypocrisy, you know, and it's peaceful. So we got to understand that there are two different types of fruit. The peaceable fruit comes from God, okay? The earthly, sensual, and devilish fruit comes from Satan, but see, the devil will entice you in your feelings and get and draw you in. That's God right. tells you the truth. Take it or leave it. Amen. And like I said, our God is love. So I'm not speaking against him. But I want people to understand why we break up fallow ground. Why we seek the face of God. Because your salvation is nothing to play with. Right. 
you better get serious. Second Corinthians chapter four, let's look at verse one and it says, therefore seeing we have this ministry as, as we have received mercy, we faint not. So Paul is telling you right there, I know the reason why God gave me this ministry and I'm receiving it in mercy because I'm not even, mercy is getting something that you don't deserve. Okay, that's mercy. So when you understand God has given you in your life a second chance, you're not going to faint with doing what God says when you truly understand that, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. So I push those things aside, not walking in craftiness, like, you know, witchcraft or, you know, what do you call it? Subtlety. Subtlety, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So you see, they don't play with the gospel. They tell you what you need to know, not to try and please men or yourself. Mm -hmm. Verse three, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, little g, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So you see, we live in a realm of darkness. Man, how fortunate are we that truth can even be brought to us in this lying and wicked society. Yes. You know how many people are deceived? We could have been Muslims, y'all. We could have been Jehovah Witnesses. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? We could have been in so many. We could have been Catholics. There's two billion of them. So we could have been in every religion you can think about. But you mean to say God found you? He shined that light on you so you can see? Man, this is a once-in-a-lifetime affair. Yeah. And it's, it's true, though. It's like, he's right. We could have been so many other things. Or even like, could have been wrapped up in a false Christian church. There's plenty of those to go around today. And that's why it's like people got to get out of the mindset of there's nothing wrong with a church building, but there's been so much brainwashing today to think that that's where people got to go. I've got to be in a church building. And it's like, what if the pastor's not who he says he is? You know, what if he's a homosexual? For crying out loud, there's plenty of those out here today. Or what if he's just halfway preaching the truth and I think that that's why a lot of people get deceived today is because their natural inclination is to I have to go to a brick and mortar building that is where the truth is at and that's not the truth anymore exactly amen you know so like I said we got to draw closer to the Lord and recognize what grace truly is mm -hmm. verse 5 for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for, for Jesus' sake. So they're preaching Christ, not for themselves, but that people might get saved. Same purpose for Jesus. Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul's giving us more details here. You want the miracles in God? You want God to use you as a vessel unto all good works? We first have to recognize that there is a treasure 
in these earthen vessels. That's why our fallow ground needs to be broken up, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So in order for Christ to live, you must die. This body is not big enough for the two of us. That's the problem. You got things you want to do in life, and Jesus has things that he wants to do. So you're going to have some conflict, but he's saying the reason why we break open these earthen vessels is that the power may not be in us. It'll be in God. That's where it's supposed to be resting in. But God has to put you on the altar because every time Jesus would do something through you, there you would be trying to have your picture taken next to the body, you know, next to the body that was saved. Or you would say, all right, hold up one minute. Um, call the news reporters and have everybody there. And there you are in a magazine, Forget it. you know, with the Lord. Man saves. Snapchat. Snapchat. Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Exactly. You know, <laughs> man brings man back from dead. When really it should be God brings man back from the dead. But you see, this is what we would do. So we've got to die. Yes. All right. Verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed and not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body and dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So you see how that goes? We've got to die so that the life of Christ will live. Verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Christ's sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So Paul is pretty much saying here what Jesus said. Jesus said, you got to carry your cross daily. Paul's saying we die every day for Jesus' sake. This is why we've got to go so that Christ can live in us. Verse, verse 12, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. So man, what a great trade-off. You're getting the death of Adam in you just to have the life of Jesus. See, we don't understand how important this is that it takes place. Jesus Christ that died for us 2,000 years ago can be sitting amongst us, living in us, working through us. What's that worth? You can tell the demons are agitated. Praise the Lord. Because that's what this is about, that the truth might be told. All right, verse 13. So it says, We having the same spirit of faith, According as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So what is a believer? Someone who will speak. Someone who will proclaim and preach the gospel. What is an unbeliever? Somebody that won't. That's Hey, this is clear. That's what he was talking about in Jeremiah and later Jesus talked about that divided heart. Because Israel was a divided heart. Look at what Israel did. They had one hand in abominations and the other hand in God. And God says, if it's going to be like that, you may as well throw the whole thing away because I don't work like that. And none of us do either. You want your husband or your wife fooling around with somebody part-time? Think about that. And then you want to come on back to me? You better take your dirty butt, get your things, and move out. Okay? Because it's not going down like that. So it ain't going down that way with Jesus. Verse 14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. 
for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So our grace is for one purpose, and that is to glory, glorify God. And see, that's what the devil does in this world. So when we decide to forsake the world and start living a life after Christ, you recognize the true purpose of grace because the world is not blinding your mind anymore to see what's real. The only thing that matters is life or death. Eternal life or eternal death is what it boils down to. And each day is not promised to us. We can be taken at any second. Now, see, when we have forsaken the world and God can get your mind there, that is what you call sober and serious and a heart after Christ because you realize you're hanging on by a thread and it is only the love of God that has enabled us to make it this far and intends to take us the rest of the way. See, then you understand God's love. I'm hanging over an alligator pit, okay, and things are getting ready to jump up and grab me and you're that, that thing that keeps me there, that rope that I can eventually climb up to safety. That's what this is about. Verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So he calls it light affliction. Paul had 200 stripes upon his back, stoned, left for dead, I mean, you name it, it happened to him. In jail, more than he was out, writing letters and epistles, and he calls it light affliction because one day I'm going to be in that eternal weight of glory. That's what he's interested in, and we all better get there. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, so we're not looking at the world, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the things that we can't see is reality. What we are put in, as we talked about before, are in a, we're in a matrix. The devil is trying to convince you every day this is real, and it has nothing to do with us. So that's why Paul says, and um, well, that's what Paul says in uh, Hebrews 12. He tells us to lay aside every weight. And then go according to what so easily besets us is the glory of God. That's what we need to do and what we need to understand. That when we yield to those peaceable fruit, you know, the, it's only going to seem like chastisement for a little while. But what eventually will come our way is to give God everything. And he will give us those fruit that we can, you know, work for Christ and do what the Lord says. That our ground can be broken up, you know, and we can bear those fruit. That's what this is about, getting rid of you so that Christ can live. So, you know, that's the lesson for tonight. Um, one thing that we want to um, explain to everyone is, I know that tonight's teaching is kind of hard to hear, but we've got to understand God's grace. We've got to understand his love. He is a loving God. He is a patient God, but he also wants us to have a clear perspective of what his word says and what he wants, what his will is that we can all inherit with him eternal life. Okay. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you and let's allow the Lord to break up that fallow ground. Let's seek his face. Let's seek after righteousness 
that God's will can be fulfilled. Hey guys, how you doing? All right, let's go to Psalm 50. Psalm 50 and verse 1, the mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth rising, uh, called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God, had, God has shined. Our God shall, call, shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour, devour before him, and it shall be very tempest round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and the earth, and he shall judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me before my, with me by my by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness. For God is judge himself, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. So here we also know that God created everything. And he's actually going to, not only did he judge Israel, but he's going to judge in that time when we stand before the Lord. And even at the, the end of times, when everyone does actually stand before the Lord, he is going to judge everything. He's going to judge every person, what we've done, what we have not done, what was you know being spoken of tonight, that our life is a witness against us. So... When everyone stands before the Lord, we will be without excuse as to why we believed in Him, why we did not, why when we say we believed in Him, why we did not live in obedience unto Him. Verse 8, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to, be, to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the bloods of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon him in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. So there are times, and I know that I've even done this in my own life, where it's like, obviously we want to live a life of prayer and fasting, that is true. But at the same time, are we doing it to get in the presence of God, or are we doing it for our own selves? Because there are individuals out there today in, in other religions that they may pray and fast, and they may go days upon days, Psalm 50. Uh, days upon days of, of fasting, but they're doing it for their own glory. They're doing it because they've got these thousands of gods that they've been told that they have to worship. And he's saying here, it's like, why are you offering all these sacrifices unto me when it's not even into your heart that you're doing these things? You're doing it for outward appearances. But if the children of Israel had actually sacrificed these things to God to get closer to him, then they wouldn't have continued in sin. They wouldn't have continued in the evilness of their life. So it's like there comes a point where it's like, are you doing this for me? Are you doing this 
to get into my presence or are you doing it for you? Mm -hmm. So we can't be doing it because then it just becomes vain glory if we're doing it for that reason. No, totally. Verse 16, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in my mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee? When thou sawest, uh, sawest a thief, them thou considerest, uh, consentest with him, and hath been partakers with adulterers. Thou givest my mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things thou hast done, and I kept silent. Though thou thou thoughtest, though thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. This is a mouthful right here because there are people today proclaiming to know God mm -hmm. and their heart is not even truly with Him. Mm -hmm. We talked about that tonight. You got people in the church today proclaiming to preach the truth and their heart is black as soot. They are wicked. Mm -hmm. they, they have... Just like in that last teaching of the John the Baptist teaching, or no, uh, hast thou lost thy first love? King David, after he took, um, what's the guy's name? Um, Uriah. Uriah's wife, he had murder on his mind. And so I'm not saying that he did that intentionally, but you got a lot of people today that they've got murder on their mind because they're not looking to bring forth the truth. They're not looking to save people. They're in it for their own gain. And there's actually wickedness in that. Because the Bible says if you um, hate your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's equivalent to being that. Exactly, true. exactly. Uh, verse 22. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear ye into pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offer praise glorifieth him, and to him that mm -hmm. offer glorify me, and to him that ordereth his conversations are right, will I shew the salvation of God. So we've got to be in that right place with God. Everything that we do, and this is a work in progress for me as well, is continuously getting to that place of being like Jesus Christ and to being sanctified and walking with Him. Mm -hmm. But the more I'm asking the Lord is to search me and that he, he, he show me that anything in my life that I'm doing is not of Him, that He change it. And that I continually, continually grow closer to him mm -hmm. because on that day we stand before him that is a terrifying thought but it needs to be in our minds a whole lot more so that's all i have absolutely all right i guess we can pray out if no one has anything they want to add or whatever any prayer requests tonight anything? i guess we can just pray that Trying to get here on time, we just uh, it's all good. Away, I just got the <laughs> message and everything. Here. Yeah, <laughs> no, awesome. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Who wants to pray? I'll pray. All right, let's go. Heavenly Father, thank I just you, want to Lord. come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I just want to thank you for another day that you've given to us, Lord. And I just want to thank you for another opportunity that you've given us to where, Lord, we can just dive deep into your word and. To draw closer to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and to just to understand the times and the days that we are living in. And Lord, if this word did prick our heart tonight, I pray it did it in the right direction. That, 
Lord Jesus, we understand our relationship with you and that we live in the reality of what that is and that, Lord, if we are not doing what your word says, then we need to get rid of everything in our life that's keeping us, that that's hindering us from doing that, Lord Jesus Christ, because you have given us a grace period, but we are not to frustrate the grace of God. Yes, Lord. And, and Lord, we just need to get everything out of our minds and our hearts and our souls that just tears us away from you, Lord Jesus Christ, because it should hurt us, Lord Jesus Christ, when our relationship is not fullness, is not in the fullness of where it should be yes, with you. Lord. It should really bother us, Lord Jesus, you, Jesus Christ, that we are not healing the sick and we are not raising the dead in, in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're not talking to more people about you in obedience to you, Lord Jesus Christ, that should really bother us. Yes, and if Lord. it doesn't, Lord Jesus, I pray that you will check us tonight. And that we will draw closer to you. Because, Lord God, no matter what we hold dear in this life, no matter what we think is important, it's not more important than you, Lord Jesus. The salvation of others is not more important than that. Anything that we got going on in our life, whether yes, it's work Lord. or family or whatever it is, Lord Jesus Christ, we have got to lay aside every weight that's, that's so easily beset us, Lord Jesus Christ, and run this race with patience. Yes, because when we stand before you, Lord Jesus, on that day, are you going to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, yes, or Lord. you just barely made it in? And that is a thought that should ring loud in our minds, Lord Jesus. And if, if we claim to know you and if we claim to have a relationship with you, Lord, then you should be more real than the realest person in our life, Lord God. Yes, Lord. And that we will live for you, that we will be those willing vessels, Lord, those... Lord, those vessels that receive you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be filled with your Holy Ghost. Thank you. Lord. I am praying, Lord God, for a fresh anointing upon this ministry, Lord God, a fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost, that we will go out and to do your will, Lord God, that we will be tried by fire. No matter where we are, no matter whether it's at the grocery store, the gas station, work, wherever it is out in the streets, yes, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, if you tell us to talk to somebody, whoever that person is, that we trust and believe in you, Lord God, yes, that you Lord. are telling us and that you're going to be there. Thank you, Jesus. But that's what plagues our life sometimes, Lord God, is that we do not have the faith in you like we say we do. Yes, and we Lord. have to have it. We have got to be baptized with fire, with the Holy Ghost, with fire to have your power, Thank Lord you, Jesus, Jesus Christ, in these last days. Because we are in a generation today that does not even know who you are. Yes, the fight Lord. is even stronger and more real than it has ever been before. Yes, and Lord. how are we to tell others about you if we don't even believe you? Thank you, Jesus. So I pray, Lord God, everything that we are going through, Lord Jesus, whatever it is, that we give it to you. Yes, All of Lord. our problems, lay them at the foot of the cross, Lord Jesus, and just follow after you to stay focused on you in everything that we do. Thank you, Lord. That you get all the glory, the praise, and honor that you deserve. Yes, Lord. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.